0: Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover. Pull up a chair and let's dig in. Jake, here we are. Better, stronger, faster. Mm. It's in the new year, so that means we're um, we're crushing our resolutions.
1: Yeah, well, it's only the third Sunday of January, so but I feel like I'm on top of it.
0: I feel like a new me, new year, new me. That's right. I mean, and, and frankly, the old <laughs> you was getting a little, I mean, I was tired of him. I think this is, this that's is right. going to be the year for same old song. I mean, my hair is combed. That's yeah, good. I know you look good. So. You are in a collar. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas I'm dressed like a normal schlub and, 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 yeah. the, you look like all, all I can say is, is I'm glad there. this is an audio recording. That's all I can say today. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you I that jacket. Cr- we have <laughs> great faces for radio. You know what I'm saying. That's right. You know. uh, so uh, I will say we got a lot of year end love. Thank you to the folks that yeah, supported. Totally. Same old song and Mockingbird. And uh, I've been, somebody sent some money to Saint Albans that don't tell Jake because they didn't send any to to cover St. George's, just kidding. Uh, but, uh, we received some great emails from folks. So thank you to those of you that reached out and just said what a difference this podcast has made for you. Um, uh, I, my ego doesn't need it, but Jake's does. So do, do continue mm. to send some those messages. They're always, every nice little bit
1: helps. <laughs> every little bit helps. Yep. Uh, you doing okay? Why Jake? I get up in the morning, you know, I'm doing all right. You know, it's a, it's a new year and, um, but you know, Old buildings, same old problem. You know, new year but same problems. But it's good. So glad yeah. to be here with you. Uh, and how about you? Your yeah, Christmas
0: was good. Christmas was good. The baby the droves Jesus was born. Of people still coming. Yeah, Christendom. Yeah, we had a we had our <laughs> biggest Christmas Eve attendance ever, as far as I can tell. For some reason the records only go back to the sixties, so who knows what happened before that. But since yeah. the sixties we had our, our most number of people and yeah, um, I felt the spirit. It was it was a really beautiful time. Christmas mm. Christmas it's pretty awesome. So it was it was great. And now we're we're enjoying a a, a Texas winter time, which means it's like sunny and fifty degrees, so I'll take it. Mm. Good. I got a well, new car. I'm are. driving a Buick. I just feel like our, our listeners should know that. So look at that. A Buick. Whoa. Yeah. It's another mm-hmm. I, prosperity yeah. gospel. Yeah. I got, so. <laughs> I got in a little car accident in November and uh, the insurance took a while, but it's all done. And uh, I went to get my new vehicle. And um, what can I say? The dealer, yeah. friend locally here, gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. So now I'm driving a car made by General Motors. Didn't have that in my 2024 uh, bingo card, but. But look at that, and I'm not a paid endorser for Buick, don't worry. They're not getting a dime. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting a dime. They are getting a dime from me, for my car, but we're not getting a dime from mm-hmm. them. We're morally and ethically pure with no conflicts of interest. But we've already, let's get to it. Let's get to these readings. We blather on. Second Sunday after the Epiphany, year B, we begin with 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, the calling of Samuel and uh, there's an optional verses 11 through 20. And then First Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, where we get to talk about everybody's favorite Sunday topics, prostitution and fornication. And then we move on to the gospel, John 1, chapter or verses 43 through 51, where we're talking about the calling of Philip and Nathaniel and people under fig trees, etc. So this is what we're doing um, for this second Sunday after the epiphany. So let's let's jump in. We have, and by the way, it's always, th- this may be the first Sunday that people are back if you're in a congregation um, where a lot of people leave for the Christmas holidays and come back uh, after the new year. You might have folks that come here and if you jump in to something about yeah, it's the season of Epiphany, blah, blah, blah. I always say to people, so many preachers assume anybody knows anything about the church year and just don't assume that people know what the Epiphany is, what it means, that it has to do with wise men and revealing and the Magi and all that. So if you're going to make a big deal out of what Epiphany means, just make sure you explain what it means. But that is the theme of the season, that Jesus is re- being revealed for everybody, He's the light of the world for everybody, and so these readings are going to sort of be on this theme of revealing and who Jesus is and all that sort of stuff that he's for everybody. So this first Samuel reading is, is, is Samuel receiving his call to be a uh, priest and prophet or not he uh, to be more of a prophet, um, in the, for the people of Israel. And he's a, he's a kid who's sort of an intern and has been since uh, there was no restrictions on child labor in ancient Israel. So he's been, uh, working in the tent, in the tabernacle, not even the temple, sort of the, the mobile tent where the Lord's ark, of the covenant was and all those things. So he's sleeping there, um, he sort of sleeps in the same places that he works and he hears the voice of God and it's a thing of calling. So there's a, there's a revealing uh, here that theme of epiphany that Samuel is actually called to do something. The optional part, the reason it's optional, I guess, is because it gets sort of heavy, this judgment. It's bad news. It's bad yep. news because right now there's Eli who's the who is the the main guy, the main priest in, in the yeah. in the tabernacle for the people of Israel, but he's corrupt. Eli himself is not the worst, but his sons but are his kids the worst. Jerks. And his sons are uh, violating uh, all kinds of moral and ethical and religious codes. They're stealing the best food from people's sacrifices for themselves. There's, they're, they're uh, taking um, advantage of some of the young women that work in the religious complex. They're committing sexual assault, yeah. basically using it. It's an abusive power, um, in a religious community. They're committing religious trauma on people and, and, and they Eli's, are HR. Yeah. So. And they're also <laughs> HR. So it's like, it's the worst. And, and they are, um, Uh, And their dad, Eli, who is the boss, is just turning a blind eye. He knows it's Mm -hmm. going on, but he's not doing anything about it. So his sons are committing sins of commission, and for Eli, it's a sin of omission. And it's this uh, that's the interesting thing here that this story is told about God's call for Samuel and is often used in talking about vocation and hearing God's call for your ministry or whatever. But what's interesting is that Samuel's call, his first call is to tell his boss much older and more authoritative, really bad news. It's basically like, um, he gets, you're going to die. He's like, go tell the CEO that he's corrupt. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you're going to die.
1: That must've been awkward. Yeah. So what did he tell you? Don't hold anything back.
0: Yeah. He's like, well, uh, you're going to die. (laughs) Pass the toast. Yes so <laughs> uh and then and you know Eli's response is well I guess that's that's what the Lord wants to do. So he, he um he to to his credit, Eli, uh the old expression, the old sexist expression, takes it like a man. Um takes it takes it like a person who's just just uh receiving it, I guess with some sort of um uh resignation, in a sense. Um, so, I don't know if you want to talk about that part in your sermon, if you do, but that's what the it's, passage is about. What would you say about this whole passage, or at least the uh, the first well, part, it's Jake, very, if you're preaching on It's this. very
1: powerful. And so, first of all, I mean, one thing you could talk, I mean, maybe not talk about, but just a fun fact for everybody, is, um, you know, uh, basically the Gospels uh, in G- John the Baptist and Jesus capitulate this story. Uh, They take it and redeem it. So you have Samuel, who's born to a barren mother named Hannah, you know, and uh, who longs and longs for a child and promises to make him a Nazarite. This is John that becomes the one who will anoint the future king. And so I think... uh, it's very important to remember that even in the corruptest of times, so this is the first thing, this is a terrible, terrible time in Israel's history. It opens up by saying that visions were not widespread in those days and the word of the Lord was very rare. And so but um, even in the midst of um, in the midst of corrupt times, the question becomes, well, uh, God does speak, but where is he speaking? And so uh, uh, this becomes I think the thing uh, I would I would drive home is is that um, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, um, so we have to look to where God is actually speaking. And, uh, and um, you know, and oftentimes in our own life, maybe we're working for somebody who's totally corrupt and crazy as well. Um, but, but God is always still speaking. And so um, I would say that in that through this Prophet Samuel, because of his his moment right here, where uh, you know he listens, speak Lord for your servant is listening. Um, he becomes the one, and he does exactly what he's told here. But he becomes the great prophet of Israel that lays hands on Saul, and then would later uh, lay his hands on a ruddy head named uh, boy named David, uh, whose greater son would eventually become Jesus. And if you want to know where God is speaking to you clearly today, well, you look to. Uh, to David's greater son, uh, Jesus. And you look to where he's speaking to you in uh, baptism. You look to where he's speaking to you in bread and wine. And you look to him where he's speaking to you through a word of a preacher that's not talking about how you need to be listening to God today, but um, how you, you need to know where he's speaking at. And where he's speaking at is in these means pronouncing the forgiveness of your sins and that he's totally for you and will never leave you or forsake you. And I tell you what, preacher, if you're doing that, well then... You're a trustworthy
0: prophet of the Lord as well. Amen. Uh, and I'll say the other thing too that's interesting about this passage is that Samuel is not, in a sense, he's not the right person to get the message. Um, there are more authoritative, important grown-ups around uh, working in this uh, temple uh, complex, um, religious complex, and Samuel is just a kid. He's like the the um, you know the custodian. He he sweeps out uh, the spaces. He takes out the trash. He does he washes the dishes, does the laundry, it's, and religious functions too. But he, he's like an acolyte. He's like very low on the totem pole, and um, and the fact that God speaks to him. There's something here which very much connects with the reading in John about. Um, can anything good come from Nazareth? And God speaking mm-hmm. in the forgotten places to the... And, and, you know, Jesus is later teaching about, you know, the kingdom of, of God belongs to children. And Samuel here is a child. So there's a there's something there too. Uh, but there's also the fact that it says that Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord. Samuel doesn't realize that it's God calling to him. There's something very humble about Samuel. Um, he is not ready. He's not fit. And, and I think there, there are people who... Um, in the new year face that temptation of thinking, okay, I will now become the best version of me and then I will have arrived and then I will be able to hear from God and then etc, etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, And here God speaks to Samuel and Samuel is so not ready. He doesn't even realize it's God. So God's grace is that he comes to people who are not ready and who are not you know, the perfect spiritual vessels. This this is, this is some major grace here as well. So I think those are some of the themes you could pull out of the the first Samuel passage. And, uh, and then you, you move on to first Corinthians chapter six, verses 12 through 20. And it begins with a quotation. Paul is quoting back to the Corinthian church, something they have written to him, quote, all things are lawful for me. That's what they've said to him. Uh, but Paul then says, yes, all things may be lawful for you because Jesus Christ is the end of the law, but not everything is beneficial. Yes, you may say all things are lawful for me, but some activities, while you may technically be allowed to do them, they might dominate you. They might control you. Uh, and so um, Paul says, I don't want to be dominated by anything. He quotes them again, what they've written to him. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food as a way they have apparently justified Uh, you know, overindulgence, whether it was in literal food, or maybe it was uh, some other kind of human appetite, sexual or otherwise. Um, Basically, they've said, like, look, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. God has given me a body, it likes to feel certain things, and so I should just express those things and do those things. And just pursue pleasure. I just did a Peloton ride, and the instructor, who will not name, was just saying like, "2024 <laughs> is the year of pleasure." And I was like, "I don't know." I mean, yes, but don't get crazy because sometimes that can lead to some dark places. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and it's not a spiritual authority, so yeah. grain of salt. I, but I think I think Paul is saying he, the the context here is what are Christians allowed to do, and the Corinthians thought that they are allowed to do everything, which in a sense, yes, Jesus Christ is the end of the law. Paul is saying like, how do we think about sin? Not in binary terms of like, be good, don't be bad, be on the nice list, not on the naughty list. Paul is saying there's a bigger context here. There's, you're not If you're thinking of it in terms of just following the rules and now there's no rules, it's Outback Steakhouse, no rules just right, like there's more to it than this. Um, and and he, he talks about being part of the body of Christ. But, but I'll stop there, Jake. What were you going to say?
1: No, I was just kind of t- uh, building onto that. One of the movies that I saw uh, over the holiday break, which was awesome, was The Fableman. Oh, and, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, at the end, did you see it? I don't want to No, it but it away, I really but want to. to. Uh, oh, I was anyway. like, oh, I really want to see it, but I have not seen it yet. Well, maybe I'll pass. But I, all I'm just saying is that sometimes when we do what we really want, um, you know what feels right to us is oftentimes the embodiment of total selfishness. You know, and um, and uh, I think that this is kind of one of the things that uh, Paul is 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 getting at. I mean, our instinct is um, is to something selfish. You know what I mean? And um, and oftentimes what I want from the inside is not beneficial to me at all. Like now it ultimately doesn't define me. So I'm going to use another example, not uh, the Fableman, but, um, we had, um, we had a situation at Calvary St. George's a number, a number of years ago, um, sort of a situation like Eli's sons. And we had one guy who was quite the ladies man, extremely handsome and, um, happened to be dating like, uh, well, Three that I knew about, ladies in my congregation, and they didn't know about it until they all discovered it. And all of a sudden, it became like this Jerry Springer kind of okay, moment, a Mori Povich moment. It was very scandalous. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and so I had to call him aside and be like, Yo, what are you doing? And uh, his first response to me was, like, Hey, man, listeners, no,
0: Jacob Smith, Pastoral Lessons 101, Yo, what are you doing? This is how he begins most vestry meetings.
1: So anyway, he goes, he says to me, he says to me, uh, he goes, well, I thought you were a grace guy. And I was like, I totally am. But uh, we're not talking about your relationship ultimately with Jesus. That's completely secure because of Christ and promises given to you at baptism. We're now talking about your relationship with your neighbor, the horizontal situation. And what you're doing with these ladies is completely not beneficial not beneficial to them not beneficial to you not beneficial to anybody else and so and really what paul is getting at here is is the idea so everything has been secure and uh, laid secure in the person and work of jesus christ and so now this causes us to look out and actually for the first time because we're not worried what god thinks uh we can actually uh because We know what he thinks. He's told you are my well-beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased because of Jesus. We can begin to look out and think about our neighbors and think about, um, you know, kind of essentially the witness that we have to everyone else uh, that um, that. that uh, is very powerful. And so, and this is what Paul gets at here. He says, um, do you not know that your body is a temple and, uh, uh, you know, and you from God and that you're not your own? That's hmm. the thing. You're not your own as a Christian. You've been bought with the price, as he says, this very powerful thing that you read about in lay Miserables. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Now, here's the fact. If you just stop there, well, that's Gosh, thanks, Jake. You know hmm. what I mean? A lot of a, lot of a, lot of a Christmas, uh, New Year's resolution advice there. But this is the, this is the point, is that when, um, when we do find ourselves falling, when we do find ourselves kind of uh, thinking about Jake first and gratifying our appetites, it's not about pulling it all together, but to remember, and, and this is the other thing, is that the Spirit lives within you, and the Spirit drives you to Jesus the one who did glorify God with his body all the time. Uh, It drives you to Jesus who glorified God with his feet, his beautiful feet, preaching the gospel and the good news of the kingdom everywhere he goes. Glorified uh, God with his hands and healing people. You know what I mean? This is the point and ultimately to glorify God by being lifted up on a cross in order to save you and me and the whole world so that we might actually be of some benefit to our neighbor. And so, and you've been united He's actually united himself to, I mean, you connect that to Hagar and the, or um, 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 Hosea and the prostitute and the church, mm. his wayward bride. He connects himself to a prostitute mm-hmm. and all of us whores uh, united in baptism. And so, and now, because of his righteousness given to you, you can present yourself once again, over and over and over and over again, and all of your failings tied up into Christ, you can present yourself before God as a living sacrifice uh, <clears throat> because um, it's uh, you've been raised with him and you're walking in newness of life. And that is the powerful thing. Um, and that's when you begin to really understand grace is that it's constantly covering over a multitude of sins. That you begin to realize, but by the grace of God, go I, and that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and um, and uh, it begins to change and and transform our desires and uh, give us the power to live a Christian life. Yeah something that's different from the rest of the world
0: and what's interesting to me about this passage shows how there's really nothing new under the sun like there was a christian community of folks who felt the grace of god but they were also still very much they were very much formed by their own culture and their own time and really they thought um uh i can go see a prostitute like it's fine to go get the lap dance it's fine to do all these things or whatever like things that you know, people are not new. This is a very old, old story. And I think what's so interesting is that Paul's statement here is not just, like I said, like, don't do this because it's bad. He, he shows the bigger picture here, which is to say that um, you are part of Christ, and he says that when you have sex with somebody, you are becoming one flesh. And you are uniting Christ um, with someone who is an exploited person, who, who, you know, you're taking advantage of your power. Like, it's just a, it's a dehumanization of kind of everybody involved in that whole equation. And um, so I think it's so different from the perspective that the church has either taught or been thought to have taught um that you you know you shouldn't do naughty things in the sexual arena because you just shouldn't it's just bad and Mm -hmm. he's not he's like actually sex is this really powerful thing you are not you know that old it was a really awful kind of dance track that came out in the early 2000s that had this line you and me baby are nothing but mammals so let's do it like they do it on the discovery channel uh just you know Mm -hmm. humans are animals so let's just let's do this Um, And if you've ever had that philosophy in life and you've tried that, you've probably discovered pretty quickly that human beings are much more complicated. Uh, You're not the – there's some chihuahuas that showed up on my lawn the other day that absolutely were living fully into that Discovery Channel mindset. But if you've tried that as a human being, you will find uh, that people have hearts and minds and emotions and that physical connection is a big spiritual and emotional connection as well. So that's what he's saying is like you're not just an individual. And so the key thing, if you want to get nerdy in the Greek here, is that the the last few verses here, verses 19 and 20, the you is plural. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's Do y'all right. not know that all y'all's bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, um, that you are not your own? Y'all were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in y'all's body. So it's not saying like your individual singular body is this pure temple that you need to keep pure it's saying that the whole community connected so the thing that the one person does in going to uh, be in this exploitative sexual relationship with another person that's affecting the whole community just like your that's guy right. in your church that yeah, was affecting the whole community so the thing about sex for the christian you are not an individual that's what he's saying like um you are united with christ as you say, we say in our Eucharistic prayers that He may dwell in us, and we in Him. So Christ lives in us; we live in Christ. You bring that with you every place you go in life. So He's just saying it's it's not this simplistic. Don't be bad; be good. Um, sex is inherently dirty and evil, and so don't do it. Like it's mm-hmm. not that kind of purity culture BS either. It's saying sex is this really complicated, beautiful thing. You're part of a big community. Your actions have consequences throughout the whole community for yourself, and and you're connected to Christ, and so it's a it's a big thing. And uh, I don't know if you want to attack that in a sermon, listeners, but at least you now, listener, have heard um, something more approaching what Christian thinking is around sexuality, um, as opposed to like just you know just don't do it or whatever it is. So um, yeah, I mean yeah. that's
1: I think that's the that's the that's the key here is that it's not just don't do it. You know, you can't, you can't, you won't survive in the realm of should because should is the law. Uh, We live in the realm of because. And um, it is uh, uh, because of God's grace in Christ. This is how St. Paul is approaching the whole thing because the previous chapters are all about a bunch of other messy things too. And uh, that is, uh, he appeals to new to live a new life, uh, free from all of this stuff, and to glorify God in, their, in our bodies, not because it's just a command, but because the gospel is real. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, God has created your body, and what you do with your body matters, uh, but Christ, your Savior, has redeemed your body, and he will raise you up on the last day, body and soul all together. It's not some sort of gnostic head trip. And uh, and. I mean, this is the thing. Uh, It it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live by faith. Um, And uh, recognizing my life is hidden because, boy, I know I'm sure I'm a mess. Um, But when that spirit is at work, um, boy, um, well, praise God.
0: Well, I just saw the opening 20 minutes of Singles, that movie that came out in the early 1990s with uh, Campbell Scott, Kyra Sedgwick and all kinds of Bridget Fonda. And it has a it has Kyra Sedgwick who falls in love with a guy who turns out – he says he's a Spanish exchange student. He's going back to Spain in a week because he has to go back because his visa is, is expiring. And he cons her. They fall in love immediately and she thinks he's the one and he'll, he's going to come back in two months. Then he sees him in a bar doing the same scam on some other uh, unwitting woman. Uh, you have Bridget Fonda who's in love with the leap singer in this grunge band. And he's like, you know, I see other people. Right. And she just can't hear it. She's like, Oh, you. And then, uh, uh, And then you have Campbell Scott saying I was – my dad left when I was a kid and my mom took me at eight years old to see a doctor so he could explain to me how sex works. And so it's like all these three different examples right at the beginning of kind of misguided thinking on this. And so there's just a lot of mess out there in the world if you want to – you see it. counter example to 1 Corinthians 6. Look at that. But Paul is going much deeper and I think much more beautiful, but a very positive yeah. understanding um, from a Christian perspective. So anyways, have fun preaching that passage. It's the base. Uh, <laughs> and your congregation <laughs> will love you for it and you will not get any emails about it. So, I think I, I But think just you know, a little final PS here. I know we're talking too long about this, but I will yeah, say that um, this is... Longest same old song ever. Ever. Yeah. This is something that many people have experienced with in your congregation, sex, and if you preach on this, just make sure, as Jake did, you add a lot of grace in the end. Um, and, and funny stories about your own sexual experience. Yeah, sure. Totally. <laughs> that will not be problematic at all. Um, oversharing is Save always church. just welcomed so, yeah. in, in the pulpit. Uh like just to yeah, have grace me. for people. Point them to Jesus, because everybody has not glorified God in their body, but Jesus has. And so point <laughs> at him. That's what we're saying. Okay. John 1, 43 through 51, Jesus decides to go on a little trip to Galilee up there in northern Israel, uh, and he finds this guy, Philip. He says, follow me, and Philip does. Philip is from the same town where Andrew and his brother Peter are from, and so uh, Philip then goes to find a guy named Nathaniel and says, we've found the Messiah. It's the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from... Abilene, Texas. And Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Abilene? Uh, Mm -hmm. Anybody that went to Abilene Christian University says yes. Uh, But what I'm saying is it went from a town that – from the world's perspective, from people in New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago. They're like, Abilene? So – pick whatever city makes sense in your context, no offense to anybody who lives in Abilene. Uh, but basically, the, the idea here is that Jesus comes from a place that the world thinks is less important, uh, sort of small fries and uh, small potatoes, but that's where Jesus is from. and So that's the first thing you can talk about is how, you know, treat that sort of allegorically is um, God being in the small, difficult, overlooked places in life. Um, and I think that to me, that'd be where I would double down on. I wouldn't make this a sermon about evangelism like Jake would, but no, seriously, Jake, what would you say about this?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I would touch, I mean, every time I preach this passage, I touch on that lesson that we learned from Paul's all, the Nazareth principle Yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, Nazareth, what good could possibly come out of Nazareth and, um, I'm oftentimes reminded of that uh, crazy story by Mary Carr. You know, and this is Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday, and a lot of people are always asked, like, what could could possibly come out of, you know, Mobile, Alabama? What could have come Mm. out of, like, you know, an African-American pastor in 1960? What, you know, God is at work where you least least expect it. And um, I'm reminded of that uh, crazy story. uh, It's one of my favorite stories um, uh, by Mary Carr in uh, her book Lit. And uh, she talks about how she was trying to get out of AA and trying to invalidate her experience uh, so that she could go back to drinking and um, by revealing that it's essentially loaded with crazy people, which can be true, who are incapable of offering any sort of sound advice. But um, she tells a story about she's setting up an AA meeting and uh, talking about her troubled marriage with what she calls a regular, a schizophrenic named Jack. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's building her case to leave, and it's here that um, uh, she experiences the Nazareth principle at work. And so um, I just pulled it up. Can I read it? Do you yeah, know good? Yeah, yeah, do it. it. She goes, eventually, I wind down and ask Jack, what should I do? As I wait for the wor- word salad from his scrambled cortex to spew forth. Instead, his eyes meet mine evenly, and he says, as it seems, everybody says, you should pray about it. But what if I don't believe in God? It's like they've sat me down in front of a mannequin and said, fall in love with it. You can't will feelings. What Jack says next issues from some still true place that could not be extinguished by all the schizophrenia that his genetic code could muster. It goes something like this. Get on your knees and find some quiet space, a little sunshine right about here. Jack holds his hand in a ball shape, shaped shaped uh, about mid chest saying, let go and surrender. Dorothy the witch wrote in the sky, surrender, surrender, Mary. And uh, you know, that is so true, as uh, that um, oftentimes the Nazareth principle is the place where we need to surrender and uh, we need to give up. And she goes, I want to surrender, but I have no idea what that means. He goes on with a level gaze and in a steady tone says, yield up what scars you, yield up what makes you wanna scream and cry and enter into that quiet. Mary then asked Jack, What if I get no answer, to which Jack said, If God hasn't spoken, do nothing. Go quietly and shine. Wait. Those not impelled to act must wait in the cathedral. And here's my favorite part of the interaction. Jack kisses his index finger, and planted it in the middle of my forehead, and I swear it burns like eucalyptus on it, like a hot coal from the archangel onto the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's true. Uh, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mobile, Alabama? Can anything good come out of a schizophrenic? Can anything good come out of the church? Can anything good come out of this presidency? I don't know. But uh, can anything good come out of the gospel? Most certainly. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, Nazareth principle. God can work anywhere. Dude, it's so good. That's powerful. I just say just
1: that when we were taught that, that changed my life. And so, the Nazareth principle, that God, Nazareth, what good could possibly come from Nazareth? Well, let me tell you.
0: Yeah. And make it real. If you preach that, listeners, uh, make Mm -hmm. sure you make that real for your congregation. Don't just say some vague statement about God can work in the dark places of your life. Like, name some of those places. Name the, oh. the, the debt that people are in, the medical bills, name the estranged family members, name the, your third divorce, like name what it is, because um, the more specific and concrete you get, you'll be surprised the more universal it will feel to your congregation.
1: Yeah. Um, the other, uh, just, just some fun facts too. Um, Nathaniel coming towards him, this scene, it's not just chalked on at the end for evangelism. This is chalked full of like Old Testament imagery. You know, so here comes Nathaniel, and Jesus says, aha, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, hang on to that. Nathanael then asks, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answers, I saw you under the fig tree before before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And if you look, uh, uh, um, St. Augustine of Hippo comments that many ancient Jews believed that the tree by which humankind fell in the Garden of Eden was not an apple tree, but a fig tree. And to be under the fig tree was to be under sin, separated from God. And so Jesus saw Nathanael and indeed sees the whole human race under the fig tree. Yeah, before you could ever make yourself better, before you ever knew him, Jesus knew you
0: and comes Amen. to you
1: in that Nazareth principle. Ooh. So that's just a fun fact you could use uh, for your sermon.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we've taken enough of your valuable time. Listeners, yeah, man. So B- we'll, longest same old song ever. We'll let you get back to your uh, Hungry Man Dinner. Uh, or your whole 30 new year or whatever it is you're doing. We we love you. We bless you. And we'll see you again next week. Peace.